You're listening to episode 43 of the STEM space. What is your goal when you're teaching STEM? And what tools do you use to assess if your students are meeting that goal? Today, Natasha and I are discussing her recent dissertation and defending her thesis for her master's about what do we define as success in STEM? Hey, I'm Claire. And I'm Natasha. From college roommates to co-founders of Vivify STEM, pull up a seat as we discuss our experiences as aerospace engineers, teachers, moms, program directors, curriculum writers, graduate students, and friends. This is the STEM Space Podcast. Hey, Natasha. Hey, Claire. How are you doing? I'm good. More importantly, how are you doing? I'm relieved. I bet. (laughs) And why is that? Last Friday, I defended my master's of science. I was studying, um, trying to get a master's of science in curriculum and instruction in science education. And it's been two and a half years leading up to that moment of taking a lot of classes, but also doing a research project. And so that last step is I wrote the thesis, submitted it to the committee, and then I had to defend it. So I had to tell them, you know, here's why I think this is a valid research question and methodology. Yeah, it was intense, but it went really well because I passed. Woohoo! Awesome. So I want to hear more about what you did your research on and what were the results? Because they were really important to what we do as STEM educators, right? Yeah. The great thing about, you know, a master's and a PhD program is you really tailor it on what you want to learn. And as engineering and STEM educators, I was really interested to know what exactly are my students learning in my program. So I focused on Space Club, which we've talked about before, and this Mission to Moon program, which was a virtual program. It's available now if any teachers are interested, but it's for distance learning. So you can do it while your students are are at home. And we used a tool called Flipgrid and they would complete the design challenge and then upload a video. Well, Mm -hmm. before when I was running Space Club, you know, I was in the schools doing these programs and the really the only way I had data on the kids was like maybe a survey or a test. But now with this virtual learning, I had videos. I had thousands of videos actually (laughs) (laughs) because the kids were uploading like their reflections on this Flipgrid program. And I was like, aha, this is what I want to look at for this project. And it was really interesting. So I picked three of the activities um, for this research and I I selected, so three activities. These are really popular ones. Probably our listeners maybe have done similar ones. The first one was a roller coaster, which Claire, I know you love the roller coaster challenge, right? Oh yeah. All grades. I think I've done that kindergarten. You could do it all the way to 12th grade, probably. It's great for teacher training too, for adults to test it out. And then I had this one called the robot hand, which is actually part of our STEM space at home series. And so the students designed a robotic arm using cardboard and string and tape and have to pick up a rock sample. And then the third one was a rover using a coin cell battery to kind of get it to move across the surface. So this research project was to see what were in these videos and is what the student is talking about. Is that aligned to what we want as educators? So I'm just going to focus on two of, I think, really interesting findings. One is the topic of product versus process. Uh, Mm. Do you ever talk about that in your classroom, Claire? All the time, especially when I'm trying to get kids to overcome what they think is failure. 
is focusing mm-hmm. on, hey, are you failing because it didn't, the end result isn't what you wanted or because you're not actually trying and going through the process? Like that's what we really want to focus on. It's not so that you have some cardboard doohickey at the end. Like it's obviously not going to be <laughs> a real roller coaster. <laughs> it's about the process of learning how to use the engineering design process, right? Exactly. A hundred percent. And unfortunately, what my results are showing is that students are overwhelmingly focused on that product. And Mm -hmm. so when they submitted the videos, a few of the videos were just the kids. It was like a 10 second video of just the Rover working. And they Mm -hmm. never told me why did they pick those materials? How did they come up with that solution? How did they use the science that we talked about in that design? And that's what we care as educators. We care about that learning, that thinking. We want to get insight into what that student is going through. And you talked about failure, all those other engineering habits of mind, communication, creativity, collaboration, all those things, right? And persistence Mm -hmm. is a big one. But just showing the rover working, what it tells me as a researcher is that kids think that's what we care about. That's what teachers care about is great job. You get an A because you met the design criteria. They see the design criteria as kind of the rubric and the standard. And that's how I make an A. And that might be our fault, right? (laughs) Because Mm. maybe that's what we told the kids we care about is check the box. You met the criteria and you're done. So if we want our kids to have a focus on those other critical elements, we got to be really explicit about it. We got to tell them that's what we care about. And so some ideas on how to do that, one was for Flipgrid. I only had the kids record themselves at the end, which emphasized the end, the product Mm. at the end, right? What if I had the kids make a video during brainstorming? Tell me five solutions that you came up with and why. And then another video during testing, show me failure, like show me something failing, right? Like then I really get across that those are important and it's not just that end product. So what are your thoughts on that? Oh, I love that idea. And I think so often I'm trying now to do that same kind of thing where I'm having the kids do the walkabout, which we've talked about before in the middle of the design challenge, just to see, are you really thinking this through? Cause that's what I care about. And at the beginning of a challenge, I will say this activity, the goal is so that you show good teamwork. And so let me know, are you going to fail because you weren't able to build this thing? And they, I hope that they say, no, it's like, are you going to fail if you work poorly as a team? <laughs> yes. So therefore you will succeed if you communicate well with your team. That is the point of this. So being extremely explicit on what the outcomes are and hopefully doing that over and over again, kind of gets through the, in their head that <laughs> this is not about making something that you get to take home at the end. Yeah. And that's something to think about when we're designing curriculum or planning out our year We don't need to have a series of design challenges. The students don't need to go through the entire design process every single time. Perhaps one day you're just going to focus on ideation. And Claire, you are all about creativity and critical thinking. And I know we've talked about just some short activities just on that. Or we could talk about failure and have experiences where they have to fail and they learn from it. I think sometimes we get caught up in just design challenges and that I need to have 20 amazing design challenges from beginning to end, but that's not always, you know, what is the best. 
That's exactly right. And I've tried to do that more often is where I have some sort of brainstorming, just like the whole class is focused on the brainstorming part. And so I do something called uh, debugging. And so I'll put something up on the board and I say, okay, today, all you're going to do is I want you to debug a desk. I want you to tell me 10 different things that you don't like about your desk. Don't come up with a solution. Just tell me what you don't like about it. Well, so we'll go through that. We'll talk about it as a class. And then we go back through those 10 things that you listed. Now find a solution for it. We're not going to build any prototypes or anything. We're not going to touch any materials. I just want you to think. And I think it's really important to break down the engineering design process so that they can see how each step is really emphasized. And we don't even have like an emphasis on, you know, just looking at your thing at the end. Yes, sharing it is important, learning how those presentation skills, but again, that's a a skill, not a product. Yeah. Can you give some examples of things that you guys debugged? Yeah. So we debugged a desk. We debugged a backpack, which was really interesting because my kids came up with this solution that was basically a luggage, like the rolling luggage. And I was like, oh, I actually had one of those backpacks as a kid because they were like, yeah, it's <laughs> too heavy. And, you know, all the things that we say is wrong with a backpack. Um, we debug a water bottle, which everybody agrees they should have a pocket, which shouldn't everything have a pocket at this point? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll have them just go around the room, like just look around you. And I want you to pick something, just anything in the room. And I want you to write down 10 different ways you could use it just thinking. I think that's so important. Yeah. And what I like about that is iterative design. We're not just always coming up from scratch. So a lot of design challenges are like build a roller coaster with all these raw materials from beginning to end. And that's not usually actually how engineering works in the real world. It's like, Mm -hmm. here's an airplane. Let's make it 5% more efficient, you know? That is so true. Yeah. (laughs) And we're actually preparing for invention convention, which we're going to do in the spring. And so that's one of the things that I talk to the kids about is the difference between inventions and innovations. There are very few true inventions. Like everything else is based off of something else. So how can we just improve the things in the world around us? And actually just learned about this in class. It's radical design versus I think iterative design. So radical is like a totally new way of doing something versus Mm. iterative is just incremental changes, which as we know, is the majority of engineering. We're not creating completely new ways of transportation because we kind of have a lot of it figured out, but we're making it better. Okay. So let me get to the (laughs) second part of my results. So I mentioned three different design challenges. I had the roller coaster, the robot hand and the rover. And what I noticed that each of those challenges had different outcomes, things that students were really picking up on um, with the rover having the most reflection. So we talked about product versus process. So I was coding these videos to see, are kids just showing me like, look at this cool rover? Or are they also telling me what they're thinking? Are they telling about ideations of brainstorming about materials and how they decided on them about testing and changing their design during testing. And from those three, the Rover actually did the best. It had the most process thinking in these videos. And I was like, why? So as researchers, we're always like, why, (laughs) why are the results Mm -hmm. like this? And what I am kind of hypothesizing and I need to investigate further is when I look at the designs, the Rover had the most differences in design. So variability. So the kids were more innovative versus like roller coaster had very strict design constraints 
And once kids built the prototype, they were kind of done because it's so big. It's like usually a really big roller coaster. They weren't making a lot of changes. The Mm -hmm. robot hand was kind of intense. It took like 30 minutes to build one prototype. And so the kids, again, were making a lot of changes. But the rover is really small. It has really simple materials, but it's actually really hard to achieve the correct design criteria. So they have to get this thing to move forward in a straight line, um, carry this ping pong ball. And so they were able to do lots of iterations. So they were, and they're telling me in the videos, like, this was so hard. So I started with this and then I had to add this. And then I created this solution. So the type of activity, and that means the design constraints, the materials that were involved, the number of iterations that they need, all of those promote different outcomes. Mm -hmm. And the Rover really promoted the use of the entire design process from lots of different solutions to needing a lot of different trials of building and testing versus like the other two. So that's something I really want to think more about and like investigate is can we, I don't want to say label, but categorize design challenges into different types of intended learning outcomes. So here's like an intro design challenge, a roller coaster. It's going to take you one iteration, a few simple changes. It's kind of like entry level versus Rover is going to be like an intensive use of the design challenge. Because like, Claire, you tell me, like, wouldn't you say that you've tried so many different design challenges? They're not all the same, but they're all labeled the same thing. You know what I mean? That's such a great point. And I've done those same design challenges before. And for our listeners to clarify that Rover uses a tiny vibrating motor to make it move. And so what's most challenging, at least for my students, when they're trying to do it is they'd make it so heavy. And so it wouldn't budge. And so I would almost say there's like a frustration level that maybe you could have like a, almost like an earthquake scale, Richter scale or something like that based on the, how, how frustrated your students could be to meet those design constraints. And that makes it more challenging and makes them have to really be creative. Like you said, iterative in their designs and how are, how are they going to make this lighter and being able to drag a ping pong ball and move a whole foot and in a straight line. That's a lot more challenging than, Hey, you have to make a ping pong ball roll. Well, you know, (laughs) in a, in a roller coaster. So I, yeah, I think that would be really interesting to be able to not just build up from what kind of skills your students will need for different STEM challenges, but also the level of iterative designing they'll have to do. So yeah, I'll have to think about that more too, because I think that would be really beneficial to have those, even those conversations with your students be like, Hey, what would you rate this as? Or compare this to this other challenge that we did. What was different? Yeah. And that was the driving question about what I'm studying or what I'm going to continue to study, what are developmentally appropriate? So kindergarten through 12th grade, right? We're trying to do STEM in all those grades, but what should we actually focus on at each grade level? So what should a third grader be doing in a design challenge and what types of design challenges would facilitate that kind of learning versus like a 10th grader? you know, that's probably going to use more technology and needs to get really into perhaps the physics or coding. There's a lot of different skills there. And we've gotten this question a lot and we need to do a podcast on it, Claire, but (laughs) we've, we've written a curriculum map. We've kind of outlined the different stages of STEM, but there needs to be higher resolution in like what we really should focus on, not just over the year, but 
almost like units and specific learning outcomes. And just to be honest, like we don't have the answers. We're kind of figuring it out with the rest of the engineering and STEM community because there is not a document out there (laughs) that tells us what to teach and when to teach it. I mean, if you're using NGSS, it has engineering practices, which are very vague and the same pretty much across the grade bands. And so oftentimes our listeners will use themes So I'm going to do some space sciences and then I'm going to do some life sciences, which is a great way to organize the content. But if we're teaching like engineering specifically, like as a separate discipline outside of science, there's got to be a lot more guidance than just do a hundred million design challenges (laughs) and use the design process. That is so true. And such a complex question. Like even we've talked about this before on the podcast, how I wrote this whole curriculum for my schedule last year and I differentiated so that every class is doing something different all the time because I thought if I work really hard my first year that every other year you know I'll just be doing the same thing so it it will just be easy because I've already done it well no because the students are different and they have different skill levels and so I'm having to redo it all over again so it's not even just like what is appropriate for you to teach to this grade level but based on what they're skills are that they already know and what they would really need to work on. So there's a lot more discussion that we need to have as a scientific and education community to figure out what what is it that we need to be doing here. Exactly. And it's a big question that I am now embarking on. (laughs) (laughs) Let us know, Natasha, when you figure this out. (laughs) I'll I'll tell you all the answers in a couple of years. (laughs) I'll send it as a PDF to all of our listeners. (laughs) Thank you. One one page, please. (laughs) One page summary. (laughs) But I'm just glad to be done. And I'm excited to kind of keep thinking about this topic and we'll have more podcasts on it. As you guys know, I decided to keep going. So I'm going for the PhD. So more discussions and me just, you know, ranting and who knows about random topics, but it's been fun. (laughs) That's awesome. So is there like a one big takeaway that maybe you had or you discovered as you were doing this research? Honestly, it's just thinking about the why, kind of looking at these videos I was coding them for all these engineering design practices and I pulled those. So there is no good assessment right now. There is not a tool that a teacher can use or a researcher that says the student successfully learned engineering. That tool does not exist. I looked for it. And one of my professors told me, they're like, it doesn't exist. And I'm (laughs) like, well, it should. (laughs) Like, how do I know what is success? How do we define success in an engineering classroom? That is something, a big gap right now that needs to be filled. And that's not even, it's a big question, but it's also going to be different for elementary, middle, and high school. So how do we assess? But then what and why are we assessing? Like, okay, we've decided that, you know, we need to assess for engineering, but do I care about persistence? Do I care about, you know, designerly thinking is this fancy word someone told me about, which I'm like, okay, that's just design process <laughs> <laughs> or creativity. Claire, you care about that. Should that be driven by us as teachers that we're like, those are our goals for our students. Or should that be like a national conversation that we all decide these are the goals for our students. So I will say that my biggest takeaway is that I now know more of what I don't know. lovely yeah I but I think it's important to know that our students should know that we don't have all the answers and that's why we're trying to figure this out all together and I think the point is I think persistence is a big one 
is we want to teach that. And as we, as STEM educators also want to persist in figuring out what is important. And I think our students will eventually let us know instead of us trying to make it happen upon them. I think we should start seeing as now the STEM has been around for a while now, we should start seeing the fruits of that as those kids start going into the workforce. Like, are we doing something right? And what is that thing that maybe we can go back and make sure we're emphasizing it? Yeah. So if if anybody's listening, maybe if you have ideas, let us know, because I think we would love to have this conversation with other educators and see what other ideas you're finding out as you're teaching STEM. Yeah. And I would love to hear how do you define those learning outcomes? Are you given free reign to pick and choose what you want your kids to learn? Are you your admins telling you? Because we get this question a lot and it's complicated and we're doing our best to kind of think about it thoughtfully, you know, but also knowing that every, like you said, Claire, every kid's different. There's so many different learning environments and developmental abilities. So it's just complicated and that's education. So (laughs) that's right. Well, looking forward to continuing this discussion and talking more in later episodes about what we discover and what you are learning as you pursue your PhD. That's right. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you.